Hey guys, Maria Menunos here. Before your favorite TV after show begins, we want to let you know about my new show on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. It's called Conversations with Maria, and it's live Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Go to conversationswithmaria.com for more info. Buzz you later. You're tuning in to the online broadcast network, After Buzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries, and your number one source for after show entertainment. TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing after shows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Welcome back once again, true believers, to your X-Files Season 10 ABTV After Show. As always, please join the conversation by following the hashtag, uh, hashtag ABTVXFiles, or by joining us in the live chat. I am, as always, Lex Michael, all over social media, at the Lex Michael, and I am here with... I am Lucretia Lyon, guys, so if you can spell my name right, it's L-A-C-R-E-T-I-A. L-Y-O-N, and you can find me anywhere, because there's only one. <laughs> and I'm, mm-hmm. You can find me at the rave. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, we're really opening is. a light show, which is really exciting. <laughs> I love it. That's right, we're in the party. Get the glow sticks out, everybody. Get your pacifiers. Mm-hmm. We're getting Korean beef. So, we are... Wait, who are you? <laughs> oh, I'm, uh, I can, I'm happy go Jackie on Twitter. Yes. He is clearly high. <laughs> uh, so, we are talking about episode three, Mulder and Scully meet the Monster. This was uh, an episode full of really <laughs> wonderful moments, a lot of really fun Easter eggs and callbacks to X-Files of uh, of our past. And we are going to pick it apart. We're going to get right to the bottom of every, every bit of it. We're going to tad O'Malley the hell out of this episode. <laughs> yes. But before... Before we do that, I wanted to ask the both of you what your feelings were overall about this episode, especially when compared to the two episodes of this run that we have seen so far. Well, I couldn't stop laughing the entire time, every little bit, and I've actually seen it, what, three times now, and I'm still laughing all the way through. I'm starting to get annoying, right? Because I'll laugh before it starts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, for me, I guess expectations were really high compared to, uh, because I know Lucretia mm-hmm. got a chance to see this mm-hmm. early, and then just reviews that I read, it, uh, most reviewers seem to have only seen the first and third episodes. And so while they had their issues with the first episode, the third one is people that felt like that is more of the X-Files that we know and love back from the heyday. So I, I came in with high expectations, and for the most part, they were pretty well met. For the most part, they were pretty well Okay, so it sounds like there's some stuff that we can mm. definitely yes. we can definitely dig into a little bit. I, for one, I loved this episode. This episode made me very, very happy. I will go mm. so far as to say, even if the remainder of this run is objectively terrible, they will have spent every penny well because we got this hour of television tonight. This, this episode made me really, really, really happy. Um, but, okay, it is obviously worth noting that it was written and directed by Darren Morgan, mm-hmm. who is, of course, an X-Files veteran. He's, I would say, if you're going to make a Mount Rushmore of X-Files creatives, <laughs> yes. it's what? I would say probably Chris Carter, mm-hmm. the Morgan Brothers, maybe maybe James Wong, I think? Yeah, yeah. Would be the Wong. other face. Yeah. Um, but Darren Morgan... Uh, 
I think it is also worth noting his intro into the world of the X Files was playing the Fluke Man <laughs> on uh, in the episode The Host in season two, and then he would go on to write some of what I believe are the best episodes of the entire run. He wrote uh, Humbug. Mm-hmm. He wrote Clyde Bruckman's mm-hmm. Final uh, Final Repose, War of the Coprophages. Uh, he wrote Jose Chung's From Outer Space, and all very very funny pieces of television uh, with moments of, I think, poignancy, especially in the case of uh, Clyde Bruckman, a very funny episode, but also an incredibly poignant, touching human story. And we got moments, I think, little hints of that Darren Morgan in tonight's episode. But this episode, I think, really tipped over into embracing the full-on absurdity that can exist (sighs) in this world. Yeah, and what I also like about it, too, is that it just really uh, kind of really embraced the fact that it's been, you know, since uh, 2001 or so, since we've seen the series, and, you know, time has moved on for, for Mulder, and it's just time to, as he says, he's a, he's a middle-aged man, and for the, you can't help but look back on your life and figure out, you know, have you done everything you've wanted to do? Do you regret what you've been doing? Where are you right now? Have you accomplished what you wanted to do? And so I feel like that was kind of cool to see Mulder kind of just checking in at, at the state of his life right now. Yeah, I love that being Mulder's midlife crisis episode. I mean, at least we get the resolution where he's back to himself as it goes on. But yeah, I just love the sad sack Mulder. Oh, God, the internet disproved everything I believed in in the beginning, throwing the files and the pictures and eh, throwing darts as his I want to believe poster. That was just brilliant because it was good to see Mulder be that for an episode. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's interesting. We talked a little bit, uh, I think, both on mic and off mic about how uh, mm. it, I believe Fox shuffled the order of some mm. of these episodes. So uh, the episode that was aired as episode two, uh, Founder's Mutation, was intended to be the fifth episode. So coming into that show mm. off of the premiere where Mulder was effectively told well, everything that you've <laughs> spent the entire run of this series believing is entirely false – to see the jump to to Founder's Mutation seemed a little bit a little bit jarring. It seemed like quite a leap. Whereas I thought seeing him where we find him at the opening of this episode, going through all of these old case files and finding that so many of these these monsters he had been chasing these these cases turned out to have incredibly mundane resolutions. And yeah, I love that it it really continues this question for Mulder of well, what what have I been doing with my life? Is this has is is this a life wasted? And I feel like if the show hadn't, I mean, the conspiracy element of that and the mythology is such a heavy part of the show. But I feel like this episode, in, in, in many ways, I would have loved to see this be the first episode. Because I feel like in just a smaller uh, uh, focus there, it just really brings up everything that we want in, in terms of Mulder. This would have been a great place for them to start up. All this time had passed, Mulder's back in the X-Files. It would have been a really small, a great way to start small and then maybe build up into the mythology later on in this part, six-part event. Yeah, you know, I could definitely see it playing out that way. I do love that in this episode, because of the way we find Mulder at the beginning, for a good portion of at least the first half of the episode, it almost feels as though the traditional roles have been flipped. Yes. So it's Scully who shows up and says, you know, Mulder, we have another case, and there's a monster in it. <laughs> and when they're, they arrive to investigate the scene, it's Mulder who's being very level-headed and very skeptical as Scully keeps throwing uh, outlandish detail after outlandish detail at him. And this happens a number of times throughout the show, and I thought that was a really fun way to play on their dynamic as we understood it. Yeah, even when they're doing the autopsy, and she's mm-hmm. like, oh, I, gosh, I, you know, I forgot how much I miss cases like this. 
Yeah, it, Scully really seemed like she was having fun. I mean, even when the role is get reversed back to their normal after Mulder's, you know, speech, talking to himself, essentially, where she's like, no, you're back crap crazy. But yeah, up until that point, she was kind of his role. Like, yeah, you know, it could be a monster, Mulder, you know, come on. <laughs> Yes. So I do. Speaking of, so we we know this is a case with a monster in it, and we we jumped over the cold opening uh, as we were talking about Mulder, but we open with these two these paint huffing uh, stoners played by <laughs> Tyler Labine and Nicole Parker Smith, and this is the first of a number of callbacks in this episode to previous uh, X Files installments from seasons past. These two characters appeared in a pair of episodes together. Uh, one was War of the Coprophages, mm-hmm. which was also written by Darren Morgan, and the other was Quagmire, which it is known he did uncredited rewrites on. So it's nice to see them establishing a certain amount of continuity. Mm-hmm. But it opens with, yeah, with, with, uh, <laughs> with uh, this creature, this interesting, scaly, spiny creature jumping around in the woods and, by all appearances, attacking people. Yes. Yes, but he was framed. <laughs> and this is, this again, is, there's there's layer upon layer to the story. And I love, uh, as the episode goes, we start peeling pieces back and we see certain events from multiple perspectives, which is a lot of fun. Um, once we move out of the agent's initial investigation of the crime scene, we see this same creature run up to uh, a transgender woman who whacks the creature <laughs> with her handbag. Um, and... The uh, agents question this transgender woman who describes a creature which has horns and... Uh, but only two eyes. Only two eyes, yeah. which is a big sticking point mm-hmm. in this in this episode. Yeah. You don't want to, uh, I suppose, uh, racially profile your lizard creatures. <laughs> that's well, racist. That's true. Well, I mean, I figured it even starts off when they're doing the initial investigation of the of mm-hmm. the crime scene, where uh, when Scully just shows them the, uh, the photos of the, the two uh, two witnesses, he's just like, Mulder is just so over. Like, oh, I just like the heavy side that he left at this point. <laughs> and then just when he hits the point, it's like, I guarantee you when we get to the end of this, you'll find that it's only two eyes. On this, and, and that's everybody who's focusing. It's two eyes, two eyes, two eyes. Yeah, which again, this becomes a big, a big thing. But I also, I also like Mulder's exasperation at the the whole concept of profiling serial killers. His line, I believe, is "I gave up profiling before I gave up monsters." Which, to me, the, the, we talked a little bit. I think, um, I believe it was last week about how jaded Mulder has very understandably become. Yes, and then he also has a dream of like, that's how I'd like to go out, just being a naked hiker and just being attacked by wolves. Like, when he's like, yeah, that's how I'd like to go out. And so it's interesting <laughs> that you bring that up because there are a couple of very specific references in this episode to Clyde Bruckman's final repose. Uh, in that episode... Clyde Bruckman tells mm-hmm. Mulder that the way he will actually eventually die is via autoerotic asphyxiation. <laughs> a far cry from being taken apart by a gaggle of wild animals. Um, also, though, uh, another line that gets referenced, and I'm jumping ahead, I feel like we'll jump around a bit, but Scully, uh, very offhand in a, in a joking way, reminds Mulder, oh, don't you remember? I'm immortal. Which yeah. is a reference, to, a reference to that same episode where she asks Clyde Bruckman, how do I die? And he responds, you don't. So... It is after they briefly question this transgender woman that they meet Pasha. Now, I had to look up mm. Pasha's name because I didn't. I don't recall the character being referenced by name in this episode, but 
He is played by the wonderful Kumail Nanjiani. Who's actually partially responsible, according to Michelle NCIS Fanatic Live, for getting the X-Files revival. She said that on his podcast, and he talked to Chris Carter, that's part of the, what started it all. So that's really great. Yeah, he's been doing a podcast called The mm. X-Files Files for a mm-hmm. little while. And I've listened to it. It's phenomenal. He essentially breaks down the series one or, one or two episodes <laughs> at a time, uh, frequently with a guest. And he's also been able to get interviews with a number of creators responsible for bringing us a lot of these episodes. But yeah, apparently he was in many ways responsible for, uh, uh, what is the word I'm looking for, stirring mm-hmm. up additional interest in the X-Files again, which helps propel this new series into development. So it's great to see him being able to come full circle mm-hmm. in that sense and actually get to play a role, a fairly pivotal role, I yes. would say. Yes. <laughs> Pasha, Pasha, when we meet him, is is... How would you? How do you describe Pasha? Yeah, I mean, basically, mm-hmm. it just seems like he's just. Uh, I feel like he's great with small animals, but anything bigger than a small animal, or like, then he just starts freaking out. And of course, Mulder said, "Maybe you should question your career decision." Yes. <laughs> he's like, "No, my life." Questions <laughs> <laughs> his entire yeah. life. Um, so Mulder can't get his camera app to work, which I love. They <laughs> see Mulder dealing with an app. It's just uh, that's fantastic. But, and the camera just keeps going off, and we almost forgot to mention the tranny crack line. That was pretty funny. Just before this scene, like, uh, yeah, I'm on crack. Like what do you what do you expect? I'm a hooker. So, yeah, I just the, love the, that. Yeah. It's like yeah, the police the yeah. police aren't going to believe anything that she says. They think yeah. I'm on crack. Well, are you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just again, like so so many wonderful but very quick uh, comedic lines. beats in this episode. But so Mulder's camera yeah. app is going uh, insane, <laughs> and they have another encounter with this creature who's running around apparently in his underwear, <laughs> which is uh, the first sign that maybe all is not quite as it appears to be with this creature. Yeah, I love how Scully's the one to ask boxers or briefs. <laughs> and and the f- funny thing about the way that David Acovey plays every little line is he just has that straight face and I just wonder how he did it. I mean, he just shows his phenomenal acting skills, how he, he was the straight man in this episode, always with that look on his face. Every little weird comment thrown out there, nothing. Yeah. It's so fun to see him like that. Well, since you're since yeah. you're bringing up Duchovny's performance in this episode, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you guys how you feel mm-hmm. about his work tonight compared mm-hmm. to his work in the two previous episodes. Because I certainly have thoughts, but I wanted to get yours. Yeah, to me, I mean, as good as he was in the first two episodes, this one, I mean, it was a complete 180 from who he normally is for half the episode. And so, yeah, I really like to see that him be more the straight man, like the skeptic. And so it was really just interesting to see a different side of Mulder. No, and I would yeah. agree with uh, Skelly when she says in the episode, like, you know, this is how I like my Mulder. Yeah. I mean, so, and that's, uh, this is uh, the company, the way he performed it in there, the way, I yeah. mean, just the material. It's just, this is the the, the interpretation of Mulder that I enjoyed mm. most. I, I don't need all the mythology and conspiracy and all that stuff. More focus on things like this and just the unusual uh, is more my speed. I I agree with both of you completely. And I love, like, to me, Mulder and Duchovny as Mulder was always at his best when, yes, he was, as always, relentlessly pursuing the truth and trying to uncover what is actually going on in any given situation. But there is and was and I believe should be a genuine excitement about doing so. Like, yes, when you come to the conspiracy stuff, there's a, the, the stakes are crazy high, and he wants to find out what happened to his sister, and he wants to stop the alien colonization, etc., etc., etc. But there is a certain uh, childlike wonder that I think was always present in the character of Fox Mulder as <laughs> as he relates to all of these, these paranormal uh, concepts. And 
I felt like, as much as I enjoyed Duchovny in the first two episodes, I feel like that was very much missing. And I feel like we got it back in a big, big way tonight, and that really excited me. Yeah, especially with that final scene where he's like, I want to believe, and then he changes, and just the look on his face of just a sigh of relief that his life hasn't been a waste. Oh, <laughs> yeah. dude, like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I'll no. go on record right now saying I watched this episode twice tonight, yeah. and both times the ending, the final moments of this episode almost made me cry for exactly the reason that you're describing. Yeah, because so it's, like, it's just the look on his face of... Uh, I have faith again. Yeah, I mean, you want to feel like anybody, I think anybody feels wants to feel like their life's pursuit is worth it. That they've spent all the, the enormous amount of time that they spent on something has yielded something and matters. And so it was great at the end for somebody that's been doubting it for the majority of the episode to kind of get that validation that yes, what you've been doing does count for something. Yeah, and, and like you were saying, like this is, I think, this is our Mulder, and it felt so nice and so, it just, it made me really happy, like, oh, we th- we got our Mulder back, you know, like that was really, really exciting to me. Um, so, back to this malfunctioning camera and the creature chasing them around the truck. Um, so, uh, Kumail Nanjiani joins Mulder between these trucks, and the, the creature just runs at them, <laughs> knocks them both over, and then vanishes. Mulder has blood on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the net, uh, Pasha's net has been torn, but Pasha, too, seems uh, completely unharmed, if mm. shaken. Mm. They follow the trail of the creature to a porta potty uh, they see him. We, 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 the audience, sees this creature run into this porta potty and close the door. And so they they immediately go to the porta potty, open it up, and it's uh, actor Reese Darby. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I love Reese Darby. Who I think I think a lot of people probably would recognize from Flight of the Concords. Mm-hmm. I mean, he works a bunch, but I think that was certainly where I first uh, came to know him. But yeah, Reese Darby in the porta potty, asking for a little bit of privacy. Oh. <laughs> So we meet Reese Darby, and his his name, his uh, assumed identity, is Guy Man. <laughs> Clever. And I want to just generally, because we're obviously, I think we've all seen this episode. Everybody on our panel certainly, but I think everybody listening has probably seen it already. So you know, we can full uh, spoiler filled conversation <laughs> about Reese Darby and his work in this episode. Uh, before we get crazy specific, general thoughts. I loved it. I thought I, it was great. So uh, just his performance there, just as as the turns and kind of re- revelations happen with what that character is and what you think is happening, and then when you find out what has really happened with that character, I thought he was just, it was an interesting take. Yeah, I really liked, I mean, you kind of expect it when it became known that the monster was him. You're like, yeah, this isn't going to be, he's a killer. I mean, obviously, Reese Darby is this fun, you know, guy. And you're like, how's this going to turn out? And I really loved how it was a whole metaphor about, you know, we are the monsters. You know, it was a human who did all this, not this, you know, were lizard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I let the term were lizard mm-hmm. is something that I'm really, really pleased has been introduced into the public vernacular at this point. Um, I fully expect a whole a whole swath of were lizard fiction to emerge in the future as a subgenre. So Mulder, uh, Scully is looking at one of the victims, and Mulder is showing her all of these uh, essentially useless photos that his, his camera app has taken. And uh, the part of the exchange that really uh, struck me the most was that he says, you know, it's a creature, not a monster. You know, I'm not talking about a Sasquatch. But look, this is a close-up. Look at his skin. Mm-hmm. And Scully says maybe it was a mangy Sasquatch. <laughs> and now uh, I'm I'm going to be pretty disappointed if nobody within the next several months starts a punk band called Mangy Sasquatch. <laughs> Yeah, we'll start Googling it now or getting into punk rock. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I feel like if no one does it, you've let us all down. We've all let each other down. 
So guys, let's prop each other up, Mangy mm-hmm. Sasquatch. But they look at the video and Mulder <laughs> Mulder points out that this this creature shot blood out of its eyes. <laughs> and Scully's like, what? That's not possible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then of course Mulder uses the internet, which is bad for him apparently, according to Scully, and he's like, no, this lizard right here does that. That's found in nature. I just loved how he just like burned her almost. It's like, nah, science. <laughs> but that that is the moment where they're having this conversation and you know, we alluded to it earlier where he points out that it looks like Scully's really enjoying yeah. herself and Scully yes. says, you know, I'd almost forgotten how much fun these cases can be. <laughs> So we are we are at a motel later on, and Mulder is awakened by shouting. Here's somebody shouting "monster," mm-hmm. and of course, being Fox Mulder, you hear somebody shouting "monster." Of course, you bolt yeah, he's upright, like, What's and <laughs> yeah, you run to the source of the shouting. He he meets the uh, motel manager. Now I don't I don't know if you guys caught it. Was that uh, rubbing alcohol? Yeah. The motel oh, yeah. manager was. Yep. That's a serious alcoholic there. <laughs> I've seen people do it, but usually they've had a few too many. <laughs> yeah, so this dude is generally very shifty, tries to play the whole thing off, and Mulder goes and investigates this other motel room, which has been trashed. He finds a smashed mirror, he finds a bottle of what we come to find out are antipsychotics, mm-hmm. and then he, he sees this, uh, who's this jackalope head on the floor. Mm-hmm. And he plays with the wall a little bit. Wall opens. And, of course, if you're Fox Mulder, you open a wall. Of course you're going to go in. Of course. So he finds this secret passage where you can look through the animal heads of nearly every room, I assume every room, in the motel. And, of course, when he looks in Scully's room, because he's a perv, too, he looks through a fox. (laughs) I didn't even catch that. That was good. You also mentioned, yeah, it does. Mulder Mulder has always been a little pervy. I think his uh, Mulder's uh, porn fascination, let's call it, has been well documented on a number of occasions. Very true. So it does seem it does seem like the type of action. Those red underwear. <laughs> yeah, we see the oh. speedo. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that was probably one of my favorite lines uh, mm-hmm. that he says to the hotel manager. When one checks into an establishment such as this, mm-hmm. you expect the manager to be a peeping tom. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not going to turn you in. <laughs> so he ends up back in the manager's office. And finally, you know, reveals himself to be uh, a Fed, and the manager tells him this story, prefacing it with, "You're not, you're not going to believe the story." Tells him the story about, you know, which does open with him peeping on Mulder, who's sleeping in his red speedo, on top of the sheets, by the way, which I yes. thought was like, like I could almost imagine Mulder going, "Well, creepy motel." In case anyone's looking, takes all his gear off, gets down to the speedo, just on top of the sheets, just in case. Um, <laughs> And I was thinking he just thought it was gross, so he didn't want to sleep underneath the covers. But yeah, you took it to a new level. I uh, like that. Yeah. I could. I totally. Yeah. My my head cannon is now that was Mulder's intention. Yeah. I was like, they're gonna see my junk. <laughs> so the motel manager tells Mulder this story about seeing this guest transform. Yeah, and I thought the the effects the shots for that initial transformation that you see happening in the mirror that that was the weakest part. Of uh, the effects work in this episode, for sure. So I don't disagree with you, but there was something so wonderfully and specifically 90s about <laughs> the effects work yeah. in this episode that I I would almost wonder whether or not that was intentional. Yeah, because it seemed much more like makeup, which I prefer, versus a CGI. So, because I, you know, love you know the '90s like everybody else my age. But yeah, to me, it was really more of a throwback transformation. You know, I don't want to see CGI. No, I but see that there was a, the 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 kind of uh, 
uh, salute to old like Wolfman transformations yes. back there when he uh, when he changes from Wear Lizard to just regular Reese Darby. Where I thought that was just a nice little homage to that sort of effects work in there when they kind of transformed it back to human form. Yeah, I love that just kind of taking them to separate stages and stuff. And I just thought this one was like, yeah, I'm seeing the seam showing in this. Uh, doesn't seem like you got it. You could do one more pass. Do a little more rendering on this effect. I could definitely, I could definitely see that, especially when we saw like a, in the uh, in the premiere, a lot of the effects work, and, and you know, a lot of critics have taken a number of shots at that episode, but I think the effects work in that show felt incredibly modern and incredibly solid, especially on a television budget. So if we're comparing, you know, the this this run only to this run, then I absolutely agree. But I'm going in a world where like. We got, we're still doing like mm-hmm. the 90s opening titles, yeah. you know what I mean? Like this feels very much to me, effects included, like more so even than the other two episodes. You could watch a season three, season four episode of X-Files and mm-hmm. jump right to this one. <laughs> and with the exception of, you know, because we, we talked a little bit about how TV production has changed and gotten a little more polished in, in the decade, two decades since X-Files premiered, but I feel like with the the slight additional polish aside, the slight glossiness, you could feel like you didn't miss a step. You know what I mean? Mm, that's very true. Yeah. So that I don't know. I dug that aspect of it. <laughs> yeah. And Rodney De La Cruz makes a really good point that I didn't notice because it's a little before my time. But Darby was dressed like Kolchak, the nice dogger. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a cool little thing I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Be, yeah, because if you're, yeah. you know, if you're listening and you aren't aware, like the X Files, mm. the part of the original intent of the X Files was to homage mm. shows like Kolchak the Night Stalker. Hmm. So we we go to this conversation after Mulder hears this story between Mulder and Scully, and it was uh, we alluded to it before, and it's it's exactly what I was talking about. It's Mulder being so so excited <laughs> at the prospect of the unknown, whether or not he fully buys into it, and then is able to preemptively speak for scully yes. yes which i love because these these characters have known each other for such a long time so of course it makes total total sense that Mulder would be able to call out every objection scully would potentially make <laughs> before she has an opportunity to make it um ah, there were there are so many wonderful relationship moments between the two of them in this episode mm. as well um I wanted to, I don't know, I wanted to talk with you guys a little bit because of how, because of how, like, seriously, like, childishly happy it made me in this episode about their relationship. Because we've seen it, uh, you know, obviously, the the last episode, Founders Mutation, dealt a great deal with the son that they had to give up. So you've got a lot of very heavy relationship stuff. But this, again, this is like, this is Mulder and Scully to me. Yes, I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's certainly this is um, a Mulder-focused, Mulder-centric episode for sure. So I mean, uh, Scully is pretty much just kind of left to the sidelines for the majority of this episode. I mean, there are nice little touchdowns between the two of them, but it's largely Mulder's uh, journey to this episode of trying to figure out is there still a reason for me to still believe it's something as much as I want to do, and that's, I mean, you know, so that. I guess that's understandable because it's a Mulder-centric episode, and it's one thing to forgive that when it's a 22-episode mm-hmm. season over the course of nine seasons, but when it's only six episodes, you're like, eh, you know, I want to get as much Scully as I can as well, too. Uh, I definitely mm-hmm. see your point. It did. I, I could definitely see that Scully did feel a bit sidelined in favor of giving Mulder's arc the full uh, focus. But to me, she had uh, some of the better lines in the episode. I mean, just like in this scene, uh, she gets the last word because this was my favorite favorite scene because it was that turning point back to you know 
like she said, um, this is the Mulder that I, that I like. And, you know, so he's going on and on, filling in for her, and she's just sitting there looking at him, and then he's like, y- you believe me? No, you're back crap crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's like, that was one of the best lines, because, yeah, you know, she's been kind of, like, you know, not as skeptical in this episode, and it's like, no, she's still Dana Scully. She's still a scientist. She's still going to call you out on these crazy ideas without proof. <laughs> Yeah, like I do think I think they had a really good script to work with as a foundation, but I love the way that Gillian Anderson is able to take every every bit of even if it's cold that she's handed and just go Meep. turn it into a, mm-hmm. a di- performance yeah. diamond. Mm-hmm. Like she did, she crushed. I thought every moment, and she had mm-hmm. a lot of uh, interesting notes to play in this episode. Even though, yeah, it was not necessarily Scully's story. Uh, we'll certainly come back around to, to some of that in a minute. I wanted to talk about Mulder meeting with this psychiatrist who he was able to find because of the prescription bottle. Because this conversation is, to me, the, the point at which the episode tips fully over into embracing its absurdity. Specifically, I'm thinking about uh, apparently Guy Mann has talked to the psychiatrist, <laughs> and the the mythology associated with the lizard creature is that it can only be killed by being stabbed with a green lance in the appendix. And Mulder Very goes, specific. yeah. No. And Mulder Mulder asks oh, why, <laughs> and the doctor essentially goes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like all these old stories just have like uh, penetration of some sort in their myths there. So yeah, it's always talking about like you know a, their own sexual inadequacies and stuff, their own impotence. And and so <laughs> yeah. I didn't read that in interpretation of dreams, but sure. <laughs> but it is it is interesting too. Like you forget too. Like he references the werewolf stories where it's always penetration with a silver bullet, <laughs> or the vampire stories where it's always penetration with a wooden stake. And you, it's it, always about sex. You know, I I have a degree in psychology, and that's pretty much what it comes down to. Yeah, and hmm. so and so, of course, just picking Green Lance in the appendix hmm. completely arbitrarily was like, okay, sure, <laughs> sure, yeah. why not? Um, also, uh, tells Mulder that mm-hmm. the uh, it prescribed advice he gave Guy Man <laughs> was to take walks through a cemetery. Yes, <laughs> this guy. I, I don't know where he found uh, this guy, but man, uh, I can't imagine he gets a lot of patience. Well, I also, I wonder, because of what we come to, to learn about Guy and what is guiding his decisions and the way he approaches these decisions that he's making, I can't imagine he spent too much time trying out different yeah, psychiatrists. Very true. Yeah, I mean, he just became um, a werehuman, I guess, now, um, a few days ago. And then the first thing you do when you're a human is get a job. And then, and then of course, you hate your jobs. So there, you got to go to the psychiatrist. So there was maybe like a 48-hour period. You know, yeah. and he doesn't know what Google is yet. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Or, or uh, more world specific, Finder Spider, Finder Spider has yeah. not started using Finder Spider, presumably. But he does work at a smartphone mm-hmm. store called Smartphones Is Us. I yes. love that. And Scully uh, finds him there, but apparently he flips out and he flees. And Mulder finds him at the cemetery. And the cemetery, again, is where Mulder gets Guy's entire story. But before we even jump into that, uh, we reference the fact that this episode was full of Easter eggs. <laughs> Two very, very big specific ones were the names on the headstones mm. that we spent a good deal of time focusing on. I think you guys probably yeah. caught those names, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And Jack Hardy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Kim Manners, for those in the audience who don't know, and if you don't know, shame on you, but <laughs> Kim Manners uh, was the guy who directed more episodes of The X-Files than any other person. He directed a whopping 52 mm-hmm. episodes of mm-hmm. The X-Files, beginning with season two's De Hand de Verlets, 
all the way through what was until recently the series finale, the final episode of season nine, The Truth. And he had this dude had this crazy expansive career. He'd been directing television since the 70s. He directed episodes of Charlie's Angels, mm. uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, Wise Guy, Mission Impossible, Baywatch, 21 Jump Street, uh, Briscoe County Jr. He had directed episodes of oh, Supernatural. I love County Jr. <laughs> so, like, the dude was working right up until he passed away. He passed away mm. from lung cancer. And Jack Hardy was, mm. in addition to being generally a beloved member of the Vancouver film community was also an assistant director on both The X-Files and also Millennium, which was another Chris Carter show. Mm -hmm. So it was nice to see the two of them get a little bit of love here, a little bit of uh, memorial shout-out. And I also liked that the, uh, what do you call it, the epigraph on Kim Manor's headstone mm-hmm. reads, and I quote, let's kick it in the ass, which <laughs> which was apparently uh, a frequent saying of his, a mannerism, if you will. Oh, wow. Puns there. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not proud of that one, guys. I'm really not proud of that one. So... Guy Man tries to get Mulder to kill him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I love that. When he's like, I dropped my weapon. <laughs> tries to get Mulder to kill yeah. him. And when Mulder refuses, finally starts to tell Mulder his story. And his story <laughs> is bonkers. Yes. <laughs> I mean, to find out that you, you totally flip the perspective on the typical uh, werewolf kind of myth mm-hmm. there, story there, where instead of it's a man turned into a monster, it's a monster who gets bit by a human and then turns into a man. Yeah, the reveal at the very beginning of the story mm-hmm. is that he was just minding his own business when Pasha, the animal mm-hmm. control guy, bit him and another man, killed the other man, and then, you know, f- flees next morning. Uh, guy discovers he has transformed into a person. And all of a sudden cares about, like, not being naked. So he's got to put on clothes. Yeah, because that's the first thing you do as a person, is you take some clothes. And luckily for him, there's dead bodies lying all around in that woods. This this I loved so much, because you see in werewolf stories, uh, traditionally, somebody's bitten by the werewolf. When the moon is full, they wolf out. And of course, all of their instincts are funneled through wolf brain, essentially, and they're they're driven by the instincts of a, in many cases, a rabid animal. Whereas now, a Guy, who was up <laughs> until this point a lizard creature, is now a were-human, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, his instincts are being funneled through person brain, and suddenly he's consumed <laughs> by and driven by these very mundane, ordinary <laughs> concerns and fears, like, yeah, I'm naked. I shouldn't be naked. I need to go get a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Things like that. I need to save for retirement and get a mortgage. Oh, and sidebar, Lex, because I know you like to hear compliments. Aaron Robinson said that was the pun of all puns. Oh, mm-hmm. thank you. I'm still, I'm, I'm not proud of it. <laughs> so, so Guy Man uh, goes, he gets his job at the smartphone store, and I love that he's, he's like, I don't know what I'm talking about. They don't know what I'm talking about. It's great. Mm-hmm. Goes, gets fast food, checks into the motel, mm-hmm. watches porn. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> yes. Lots of porn. Because, I mean, that's that's my list, right? Like, when mm-hmm. my consciousness flipped on at the age of, I don't know, 24, mm-hmm. like, that was the first thing. I was like, okay, gotta get dressed, gotta, gotta go get a smartphone job, gotta get some hamburgers, and yeah, probably watch porn in a CD <laughs> motel for a couple of days. And... Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you, because I was a little bit fuzzy, and maybe that's part of the point, <laughs> a little bit fuzzy on what triggers the transformations, because it it seemed to me, now, probably not important, but it seemed to me a little bit unclear, and I wanted to ask both of you if you caught 
what specifically it was. I don't know if there ever, ever really was, because when Mulder tries to put at least some mm-hmm. internal logic into it, like, it, well, it wasn't daytime when you transformed, and he's just like, no, guys, like, there is no logic to this. So I feel like there wasn't really any clear-cut triggers to any of these transformations out of the way. Unless you saw something like Creature. No, I was just going to point out that line as well, where, I mean, it pretty much explains, because he thought it was the moon, but then he's like, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know what I'm saying, Mulder. There's no external <laughs> logic to this. Like, it was so funny. He's like, I have no idea what's going on. And I think that was the really funny part, because, yeah, you have no idea what triggered it. And who knows? He's supposed to go into hibernation, but he's still maybe a human. We have no idea what's going to happen with this guy. Well, right. Because as he yeah. said, he's got the human ability to BS his way out of any situation. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I just wanted to make sure that there wasn't anything that I should have caught that I didn't. No. But again, like you say, they make a very specific point of saying not only is there no internal logic, there's no external logic to end <laughs> which again, I really liked. So he... Uh, once he transforms back into a human, he decides, I'm going to get a puppy. Yeah, yeah. of course. Because that's what we do as humans. We love non-humans, and that's what keeps us sane. I mean, I know. I think about it, too. I'm like, yeah, I really only like my dog and cat. <laughs> <laughs> so did you guys catch the Easter egg slash reference that is the name of the dog? Dagoo. No. <laughs> All right. So Dagoo is one of the names of the harpooners, one of the harpooners on the Pequod in Moby Dick. So the direct connection there is obviously, and uh, Scully's late lamented uh, former puppy, Queequeg, that was introduced in Clyde Bruckman's final repose, was eventually eaten by an alligator, also named after a harpooner on the Pequod. Mm. But this is something that goes all the way back to season one uh, in Beyond the Sea, which was written, co-written by Darren's brother, Glenn, uh, where they make a big deal out of this relationship between Scully and her father, where he would call her Starbuck, who Mm. was the the first mate, the chief mate character character on the same ship. So I just thought that was a nice little callback. <laughs> but so Dagu goes missing. Poor Dagu. Yeah, she's really like the maid left the door open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was expecting that to have more payoff other than just, I guess, at the end, we see him safe and sound in the animal control shelter. Which and Scully me, takes it, yeah. Which, which did make me feel better, because yeah. I'm the type of person, I know, I don't know how you guys yeah. feel about it one way or the other, but my attitude is, I know this is all fake, but you do whatever you want to any human character, any ho- horrible, violent end that they can meet. Just don't hurt the dog. Yeah. I know. I'm the same way. It's like, I love when Scully takes the dog, looks around, see if anybody's there, and just takes it. It's like, yay, get a happy ending. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hopefully this one doesn't get eaten by an alligator. <laughs> <laughs> but so, in his search for the dog, he's running around. He sees Pasha again <laughs> doing his thing. And I'm not... Apparently, so Scully says the victims were strangled. Mm, Whatever Pasha was doing looked a little bit more involved Mm -hmm. than strangulation to me. Well, I guess maybe strangle them and then starts chowing down on their their necks. Yeah, as she said, she found DNA on the uh, tool. I don't know what it's called for dog catchers. But yeah, the little um, hook, apparently that's he strangled them and then he would bite their necks, like, for some reason. So this is what eventually he sees a person doing this to another person. And this is finally, he doesn't even realize he he changed back to his lizard form, I think. This is what finally makes him go, no, I'm done. I'm, I'm casting off all of the, uh, uh, the, the auspices, the veneer of humanity. I'm taking the clothes away, starts running around. And this is where he bumps into the transgender woman, finally bumps <laughs> back into, into Mulder and Scully and Pasha, which we saw from their perspective earlier. They have what what is maybe a slightly awkward moment in this episode for me was the brief exchange about the transgender woman. Yes, that was so funny. He's like, oh, I'll do that then. I think they cut off your genitals. 
Okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I also just wonder, because I've seen that scene now on the other side from his point of view, uh, when he sees, uh, he strips off his clothes and uh, runs, but then when we see him he, at, at, in that scene, he, he runs around the truck and then hides right in the uh, the porta potty right there, and then all of a sudden he has all his clothes back. Mm-hmm. But he go back and run through that field and pick up <laughs> all his clothes that he dropped off and then come running back? I, that The whole time and look, geography of that scene can be a little confusing when I saw it from this point of view. But see, Frank, you're looking for the internal ah, logic. Right. Yeah, there for is the, no internal logic. There's no there's external, there's external logic. logic. That is right. <laughs> <laughs> And that's exactly, this is about the point in the episode where that exchange actually happens. But then, uh, he lies about having sex with Scully in the back of the phone store. Oh, I mean, who wouldn't? He, she walked in the store, every guy's gonna make up that story. I love how he's like, yeah, apparently I'm really good in the sack. <laughs> no, you're not. That didn't yeah, happen. Yeah, he's that like, didn't that didn't happen. happen. But I also love, too, like, his, his instincts are being funneled through yeah. person brain, and he has this urge, this uncontrollable urge to lie about, about his, his sex, sex life in human form. I I just want to say I love Julian Anderson. Me too. And she can play so many different types of scenes so wonderfully. And I love this absolutely absurd scene. Oh yes, she just goes for it. Definitely, she's just having a lot of fun in that scene for sure. Uh, also, mm-hmm. uh, a guy references his friend George, who was killed by a jackalope. Yeah, apparently they are real. I yeah. love when he argues with Mulder about that. I'm like, that was really funny. Because <laughs> maybe, because he only comes around every 10,000 years. Or he's like, I don't know. Uh, maybe jackalopes did exist at one point. Yeah. And so as we exit out of this conversation and we dive headlong <laughs> into the end of this episode... This is really where it's like, okay, we've completely given up even trying to establish a base reality here because then we establish that not only is this a lizard creature slash wear person, he can also accurately quote the first folio version of Hamlet and speak French. I love that. Yes. Like, yeah, in that 48 hours, I mean, he somehow uh, read Hamlet, the original version. He, really got, he found yeah. the folio version yeah. as well. Uh, plus, I also like that everybody's suit coats also have this just pocket where you can put bottles in there. Everybody's got <laughs> bottles that they can just pull out of their suit coats. You don't have one of those? No, I, I'm missing I got out. like three. <laughs> so Mulder drinks himself into a stupor by this gravestone, is awoken by mm-hmm. his X-Files theme ringtone. <laughs> that was really one of my favorite things there. I think I'm going to have to now change mine to that. <laughs> so... Scully has tracked Pasha, having figured out that Pasha is the person that they're looking for to the animal control shelter. Pasha attacks her. Mulder calls for backup. By the time they get there, Scully's handled it. Oh, yeah. You don't mess around. She's an FBI agent. Come on, she can kick a lot of ass. Yeah. But I do do like that where it's just... uh Mulder never wants to stay on the phone long enough to find out any crucial bits of information. Like, when she has the lab results, it's like he hangs up the phone, doesn't want to listen. Mulder, I've got to... Okay. And yeah, and they they basically they they reference that immediately after that call, and he gets off the phone. It's like I need backup at the animal control shelter. Where's the animal control shelter? (laughs) I loved um, the fact that he's like, this is the second time you just went in at a murder suspect, you know, without any backup. And she's like, I got it. You know, I just loved how she was just so confident, and he's just like taking it back. It's like she's a strong woman, Mulder. She can take care of herself. That's right. And this when she throws out the immortal line. So Yeah. yeah. Yes, and uh, of course, Pasha had this whole speech prepared <laughs> for when he was taken in, and of course, doesn't get to make the speech. Yes. Scully referencing the earlier <laughs> conversation. You've seen one serial killer, you've yeah. seen them all. <laughs> yeah, I love that, because he was just so down and out in the beginning when he said it, and then I love she reiterates it just, you know, for that thing. You know, serial killers are boring when it comes to the X-Files. <laughs> so then we get this final conversation, the last scene of the episode between Mulder and Guy where Mulder says to Guy, you know, we caught the killer, and based on what we discovered, you may have been telling the truth. 
And they have this exchange, which I think is really touching, <laughs> that, you know, it's been a very... Guys, guys been having a really mm. rough time. And it's great that he met somebody like Mulder, who could, at the very least, maybe sympathize a bit. Yes. And then talks about how he's going to go hibernate for 10,000 years. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which, again... What? But he doesn't really know because he doesn't understand our construct of time. He, he's still just BSing his way through it, I guess. So, no, but I also like it, just mm. like a nod, just to the old episodes where when Mulder could see something fantastical, uh, but when you want to try to actually get real concrete proof, it always there's always some reason that <laughs> prevents him from getting real tangible evidence of this. So he's going to go hibernate for ten thousand years. Okay, well, I guess there's goes a chance to really prove that this creature still exists. Yes, proof, concrete proof, absolutely. But I would argue Mulder gets something even better. Guy says it was nice to meet you, puts out his hand. Mulder shakes his hand and then sees the lizard form. Yeah. And as Guy recedes, Mulder smiles. And this was the moment that both times I watched it, it almost <laughs> made me well up because Mulder gets his faith back, which was really nice to see because that dude, that dude could use it. Yes. yes. Mulder got his groove back. That's what they <laughs> should have tiled it. But I did love it. it was Mulder and Scully meet the the where lizard? <laughs> yeah, well, where? And, and yeah. again, again, guys, uh, fully expecting from the internet a full swath of where lizard subfiction mm-hmm. uh, in the days to come. Really soon, we're gonna have to wrap it up. That was that mm-hmm. episode, though. That is Mulder and Scully meet the Were Monster. Uh, really quick, uh, I want to get final thoughts from you guys, but I also want to move into predictions for what is coming up. Uh, for me, briefly, like I said at the beginning, I really wish that we, the first two episodes didn't exist and the season started. Predictions. Mm-hmm. The, the season started with this episode. I thought this would have been a great starting point for six more episodes about stuff. Yeah, I totally get this is why when I went to the pre-screener that they showed this one and the first one. Because, yeah, the first one's basically grabbing all the new people that may not understand some of these dynamics. But even then, if you'd showed in this episode, how many people would have watched the show? I mean, they're like, I have no idea what's going on, but this is funny. Yeah. Yeah, this this show made me very, 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 very happy. Mm -hmm. I I wasn't counting. Somebody will tell me on the internet how many berries that was. Uh... What what do you guys think we can expect from next week's episode? It is an episode entitled Home Again, which certainly brings to mind uh, specific connotations yeah. in the X-Files universe. Yes, I, I, I'm shocked that after this episode, they are going dark, but it, you could tell. I mean, it was very horror influence. I'm kind of hoping for some really good horror cameos since I'm a horror nut. But yeah, being home again, I'm thinking it's going to be like the complete opposite of this one. Dark. Yeah. I mean, and it feels like we're touching on uh, just like different types of uh, genres of X-File episodes mm-hmm. that we've liked throughout the series run. We're kind of getting, sing- other than like our two bookend kind of mythology heavy episodes, the other four are just going to touch down on different kind of flavors of X-Files episodes that we've had known and loved throughout the seasons. Yeah, I'm very excited to see what they do. We are, we are halfway through this run of episodes already. It feels... Uh, already all too brief uh i do want to mention one more time actually uh throw it over to you guys one, mm. one of you either one remind our audience why next week is uh, particularly special for us oh well as mm. we're talking about like a nice horror movie I, and home again mm-hmm. uh, the title for that then who who uh was the writer of the first original home episode that we mm-hmm. always like creeps us out so much none other than glenn morgan yes mr glenn mm. morgan himself is going to be talking about that episode mm. and the x-files right. in general in studio with us <laughs> next week at our usual time so guys please please tweet your questions for glenn morgan at us please join us in the live chat to throw your questions at him that way we would love to have you be a part of the conversation because i i think we're all pretty excited about oh, it definitely mm. 
I think that's going to do it for us tonight, though. So until next week, uh, Lucretia, Frank, where can people find you on the internet? Well, again, if you can spell my name right, it's L-A-C-R-E-T-I-A-L-Y-O-N. Find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. And you can find me on Twitter at HappyGoJackie. And I'll see you at the rave. And I am Lex Michael, all over social media, at the Lex Michael. Tad O'Malley is out there. Until next week, guys, we will see you then. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 